been talking about foundations, and one of the key foundations that we need to address is this one here of making disciples. If God says to you, what is the purpose of Go Christian Church? If someone from the outside comes to you and says, what is the purpose of Go Christian Church? This is the win. Making disciples that make disciples. We've preached on this a lot, but we've practiced it a little. Let's be honest with ourselves. How many of you can I go up to you and I can say and, I, and ask you this question? Who are you discipling intentionally and systematically? How many of you will be able to raise your hand and say, I've got these five people, I've got these six people, I've got these 12 people? How many of you can say that? You don't have to raise your hand. That's what this message is about. There's a story of Jennifer, who a friend of mine called Gareth met on a plane. She was over 60. This is what he said. She was over 60 from England and was friendly with twinkly eyes. She attended an Anglican church and was an occasional teacher at a school. Her priest was a homosexual who lived with his boyfriend. She thinks this is fine and considers me intolerant for thinking otherwise. She does not believe in moral absolutes at all, considers abortion to be kind and responsible, other religions to be legitimate alternatives, heaven and hell to be non-existent, the Bible to be fallible and not inspired, creation to be a myth, and evolution to be true. In addition, she's not sure if Jesus is the Son of God or resurrected from the dead, and yet she still considers herself a Christian. Now, I know you've met people like that. Do you know what this tells me? It tells me that we have not been making disciples. And you know that this is so true on the African continent. What is a disciple? It comes from an interesting Greek word, which is the word methetes, which literally means to learn. It's one who learns. It's one who sits under teaching. That's what a disciple is. And if you look in ancient times, the way we were taught is someone verbally instructing us and modeling to us. So when I say to you, are you making disciples systematically and intentionally? I'm asking you as an individual, do you have a plan? What is to plan? To plan is to prepare the details beforehand. Do you have a plan where you intentionally teach people, instruct them, and model to them? That's what, that's what disciple making is about, ladies and gentlemen. And you see, when the church is mature, when the church is revived, every single person who calls themselves a Christian should also be a disciple who's making disciples. Amen? And if we don't have this in the body of Christ, we'll have people who consider themselves to be Christians, but still tell you that, I don't really believe everything in the Bible. They consider themselves to be Christians, but they're like, homosexuality, that's fine if people want to do that, it's okay. Yeah, you know, you can be a Christian and also do that. Yeah, God is flexible. Are you following me this morning? A newly converted vice president at NBC was asked how his new faith would affect the moral programming at NBC. He stated the following. All it does is give me peace of mind in my personal life. But whether it will affect my programming... It doesn't. It just makes me think clearer. But that just means that I'll probably think more commercially than I did before. You see, 
He had been converted to Christianity, but his Christianity had not translated in how he did business. He had not been discipled. In other words, he had not sat under teaching, right, of the word of God, where it was modeled to him how his Christianity would manifest in all areas of life. We're talking about being a disciple-making church. Is everyone following this morning? There's some interesting stats, and these are from George Gallup um, that were done sort of in the mid-2000s. About eight, and and they're they, they USA-based, but you can translate them here. About 86%, okay, this was Christians, right, on Christianity in America. About 86% say that they believe in God, and another 8% believe in a higher power of some kind. 60% say that faith is very important in daily life, and another 15% say it is fairly important. About 80% identify themselves as some brand of Christian and claim membership in a congregation. That's a lot. Somewhere between 41 and 46% say that they attended church or synagogue in the previous week. If such a great percentage of people in the population claim to be Christian, then we should never have the social problems that we have. So you know what the problem is? There are a lot of people who give mental assent to Jesus, but they have not been discipled. And that's why someone once said that the gospel on the continent of Africa is a mile wide, but only an inch deep. The gospel on the continent of Africa is a mile wide. In other words, there are lots of people who say, hey, yeah, of course I'm a Christian. Oh, Jesus, wonderful. But only an inch deep. Because if you then go a bit deeper now and you say, okay, so tell me about a biblical Christian view of business. They can't tell you. Tell me about what a godly husband is supposed to be like. They've never been systematically discipled in that area. So they don't know. And that's why we should not be shocked when we see that a lot of stuff that's happening in the world is also happening in the church. Why? The discipleship gap. If someone comes to you and says, what is the focus of Go Christian Church? I'm telling you right now, it's making disciples that are making disciples. And I'm going to keep speaking about this until I see it happening. Amen? I like what a guy called Cal Thomas said. He says, the problem in our culture isn't the abortionists. It isn't the pornographers or drug dealers or criminals. It is the undisciplined, undiscipled, disobedient, and biblically ignorant church of Jesus Christ. See, if you look in the book of Chronicles, what does it tell us? God basically says, if my people, if who? Who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, what will happen? I will hear them from heaven, yes. I will forgive them and I will heal the land. How many of you know that a land can be, land can be diseased? I covered that in my book on nations, right? When I talk about building your nation, the things that happen to nations. If God is saying, I will heal your land, it means a land can be sick. A nation can be sick. 
When we were in France, we were amazed because you'll see people at 8.30 p.m., quarter to nine, after nine, 10 p.m., pushing prams with babies. I remember looking at this and commenting to my wife, and I was like, it would be great if this was happening in SA. When we have violence in our nation, that's sickness. But here's the powerful thing. God says this is the solution. If my people humble themselves, we are the answer. But we have to be discipled to do that. Amen? And that's why Cal Thomas, and I'm going to say it again, says the problem in our culture isn't the abortionists. It isn't the pornographers or drug dealers or criminals. It is the undisciplined, undiscipled, disobedient, and biblically ignorant church of Jesus Christ. If churches are powerful, and if we're truly making disciples, I'm telling you right now, Tswane will be healed. Politicians will be coming to us and will be saying, can you give us advice? Because we walk in the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God. Amen? That's where the Lord wants to take us. So now, how does this apply to this church? How does it apply to this church? One of the things we've tried to do a lot is to encourage people to go to go groups, right? And we've encouraged this because we want to create a disciple-making community. Now, what does a disciple-making community actually look like? What does it actually look like? If you wanted to have a vision of this disciple-making community, there's a shift that needs to take place from people being biblically illiterate to being biblically literate. That's one of the shifts. People will know the word. Another one is there's a shift from being passive recipients to proactive ministers. What does a proactive minister look like? They literally say, oh, we're supposed to make disciples. Okay, uh, one, two, three, four. Yeah, these are young ladies. I'm an older woman, and I've got things to instruct them based on Titus 2. Older women instruct the younger women. Okay, I'm gathering these people together. Pastor, have you got material for us? Yes, because we want to actually make disciples. You're a proactive minister. You're not passive. Amen? In this church, we should literally be having dozens and dozens of disciple-making groups starting up. In every single life group, there should be about three or four disciple-making groups. Is everyone following? Ultimately, our life groups should just be there for fellowship. But where the discipleship is happening is in these disciple-making groups where women, mothers, are discipling youngsters. Older men are discipling younger men. Amen? Amen? Go ahead and look at the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy in terms of what Timothy should do in terms of disciple making. Go ahead and look at the instructions that Paul gives to Titus in terms of what the older women should be doing with the younger women. People should be coming up, running, saying, you know what, these are the people I've identified. And then there's accountability so that we can ask you next month, how are they making progress in the disciple making journey? Is everyone following? Are you catching what I'm saying? All right? There's a shift in a disciple-making culture from professional ministers to every member a minister. Everyone who's a member should see themselves as a minister. The word minister means to serve. It actually comes from the same root word as serving. 
It's where we actually get the word deacon. Deacon is a transliteration of the word diakos in the Greek, which literally means to serve. So when churches say that's a deacon, that's really an appointed servant. And that's where we get the word minister. To minister is to serve. So it's not a status thing. I'm a minister. Like it's my position. No, you're an appointed servant to do things. So we're moving from professional ministers to every member a minister. We're moving from consumers to producers. That's been the problem with the church today, isn't it? People are consumers. Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. Right? That's the mindset. I, go, I, I don't like the worship in that church here. Yeah. I'm going to try this other church. I, I, yeah, I don't I have the message. Yeah. You know, I want something that gives me breakthrough. It motivates me for the week. And then we ask you, are you a Christian? And you say, yes. Then I say, are you a disciple maker? And you're like, huh? Because your Christianity is limited to, let me consume, let me consume, let me consume. Not, let me produce. We move from being a spectator to being a participator. We shift from being an audience to being an army. That's why when I said to my wife last night, I'm telling you right now, God is birthing a movement of women and it will be an army. Not an audience, an army. One of the things we need to do is we need to test whether we are a disciple-making community or not. Because the Lord is going to judge us based on this. Oh, you guys said this is your vision. Making disciples that make disciples. Okay, let's see how far. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says, Examine yourselves. Say to the person next to you, examine yourself. As to whether you are in the faith. I like what my wife said. You know, sometimes we worry about, oh, how do we look? Will we be okay? Then you're on your way, like, to church or to work. Let me just be more PC to work and so on. Oh, am I okay? Is my blouse okay? Is my color blocking fine? Is everything cool? Oh, then you spoil your day. So we, we tend to examine the wrong things. The Bible here says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. <laughs> Examine yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, as to whether you're in the faith. Then it goes on to say, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? So God encourages us to self-assess. And you know that God did that himself? He assessed himself when he was creating the world. What did he do? He looked and he saw, oh, it's good. Day two, looked, oh, yeah, it's good. Day three, oh, it's good. He self-assessed from the very beginning of creation. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. As I'm preaching this morning, examine yourself. Am I a disciple maker? Am I intentionally instructing people and modeling to people? And am I doing it systematically? You've all got these guilty looks on you. So I want to ask you a question. How do you feel about your knowledge of the scripture, of the scriptures? Could you successfully share the gospel with an unsaved person? Can I go here? 
Can you successfully share the gospel with someone who's not saved? How many of you? Just raise your hands. Okay? It's important. And when you go out and you make disciples that are going to make disciples, you then have to train them up to say, this is how you lead someone else to the Lord. Can you articulate a biblical view of family? Say, you know what, this is God's purpose for family, this is the setup. Can you articulate a biblical view of civil government? Can you articulate a biblical view of business? Some of you are launching out into business. Do you know what the biblical view of business is? Amen? So what does a true Christian disciple look like? Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. These were one of Jesus' parting words. I don't know about you, but if you've got a relative, maybe a favorite uncle is on his deathbed there, and you're there, you're waiting to see if you're on his will, and he says, you know what? These are the very last words I want to say, and I don't want to talk anymore. Those words that he says are very important. Amen? So Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. This is so powerful. When you are going out and reaching the lost and making disciples, you're not doing it in your own authority. He's given you authority. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. So it's linked to the first statement of his authority. Go therefore and make converts of all the nations. My wife is listening. They say make converts of all the nations. It says make disciples of all the nations. In other words, go and teach and instruct and model to the nations. Nations should come and look at us and say, how do you guys do what you do? How do you cook such nice food? How do you love your hubby so much? How do you do it, Marapeng? <laughs> Nations should be coming and saying, Sipo, but how do you do it? The matching. <laughs> Nations should be coming to us for advice and saying, how do you guys start businesses like that? That just, just have such an impact. Tell us. Desire, how do you sing and it's anointed and people are delivered the way they're being delivered right now and demons are manifesting and their lives have changed because of the songs you've written. Amen? Mpo, how do you educate people in music so well? I'm including Mpo so he doesn't feel left out. That you educate people in music so well like you're doing. And we're seeing all these people, hundreds and hundreds of young keyboardists, uh, guitarists coming up, being raised up in this nation. Can you explain how you're doing it? How you're running your music school? Give us tips, please. Nations should come to us. So Jesus here says... Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the starting point is we get them saved. But then what happens afterwards? Teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Let me just say something. Jesus taught by command. He didn't teach by suggestion. 
just go, just go and study the Gospels. Do not last. Do not do, lay down your life. Do. So they're the commandments of Jesus. I know someone, I've met the person who's actually written a book on the commandments of Jesus. Just all the commands that Jesus made. Very powerful. When you use those in the disciple-making process, extremely powerful. One of the things that saddens me today is some people have exalted the teachings of Paul above the teachings of Jesus. And they say, no, Jesus was teaching people in an Old Testament environment and so on. Yeah, so that doesn't count here. Yeah. So like, Paul's revelation is really powerful. We know Paul's revelation is powerful because it came from Jesus. But we should never downplay the teachings of Jesus. Amen? When Jesus was teaching the disciples, he was preparing them for what they should teach new covenant Christians. That's why he says, go and teach them what I've taught you. Amen? So he says very, something very powerful. He says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. So one of the things when you're making disciples is you're teaching people to obey. It's one thing to teach someone. It's another thing to teach them to obey and to observe. When you go to a small group, for example, and you start unpacking this, a small group leader is helping to take this and make sure you obey it. That's one of the main functions of anyone who's a disciple maker. When you're unpacking this, you're helping people to take it and to obey it. Say to the person next to you, take and obey. <laughs> okay? That's very, very important. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How, how do we become more anointed? How do we walk in the manifest presence of Jesus Christ? Go and make disciples. Because that's the condition of this promise. I mean, if you know, promises have conditions. He didn't just say, I will just be with you guys just because you're my kids. He says, go and make disciples and I will be with you. How many of you know that when God says, I will be with you, there are levels of being with you? God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So when that sinner is sinning, God is also there and he can see what's going on. But there's a difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. Amen? How many of you that you can have a meeting? For example, when my wife came up and we're doing the last round of that particular song, she says, can you feel this presence? That's the manifest presence of God and their degrees of glory. Amen? So I want to maximize on the glory dimension in my life. I don't want a sense of like, yeah, Jesus, you were there and you saw what I was going through and you were around and so on. I want to know that Jesus was there manifest his glory. And the context here, he says, and lo, I will be with you till the very end of age. What's the context? As you go out and make disciples. Amen. So what does the true disciple look like? Firstly, a disciple is not what it's sometimes promoted as. In other words, a disciple is not a person who once prayed the sinner's prayer or made a decision for Christ. That doesn't make you a disciple. That's a convert. Amen? A disciple is not someone who claims to have been a Christian for a long time. Because there are many people who have been Christians for many years, but they're not sitting under teaching. They've been Christians for many years, decades, but they're not sitting, submitted, under teaching. Which is what a disciple is. Thirdly, a disciple is not someone who attends church services and programs. Do you know that there are a lot of people who come to church as a sacrifice 
to compensate for their sinful life. Do you know that the Bible says that God detests the sacrifices of the wicked? In other words, when someone is not living right, and then they come to church because they're feeling guilty, and they feel like, well, God, you owe me one now because I've done this, but their life is not yielded to God. God detests that sacrifice. When a thief or a criminal, which happens, tithes of money that is stolen and says, I just, I'm just doing this so that I'm not caught. Maybe God will bless me and they won't catch me. No, seriously, that's what happens. God detests the sacrifice of the wicked. But the prayers of the righteous, the Bible says, they're a sweet-smelling offering, like incense to God. Amen? So it's not someone who attends church services and programs. So just because you pitch up for a church program, don't think you're doing God a favor. doesn't mean you're a disciple. It's not any good and moral person. It's not someone who knows the Bible very well. There are a lot of people, a lot of theologians who are going to hell, literally going to hell. They're not born again. We knew of some of them. At Varsity, we had some friends who studied theology, not from a, a Bible-based theological seminary. And literally, they left the faith because of some of those lecturers. Now, did those people know the Bible very well? Yes, they knew the Bible very well. But there's knowing the Bible and there's knowing the Bible. Amen? It's not someone in full-time ministry. Just because someone works for the church or is in so-called full-time ministry doesn't mean they're a disciple. And it's not someone with a very supernatural ministry. Can we go there? Just because someone does miracles, it doesn't mean they're strong in the word. And that's why you look at some of these guys who may be doing miracles, some of them miracles empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, quite a number of them, unfortunately, from a spirit of divination. Can I say that? Is that okay? Oh, by the way, I did a series on that. All right. But anyway, um, some of them, they're not disciples. They're not students of the word. They don't know the word. If you're to go and test some of the guys and say, okay, can you tell me? The word, just instruct me, like let's unpack certain things. They don't know what, no. Are you following this morning? Now here's the thing. Are all these things that I've mentioned wrong? No. All of these things may be good, but they don't necessarily equate to discipleship. I want to give you seven key marks of a disciple. Firstly, a disciple is a learner, a student, and an apprentice. A disciple is a learner, a student, and an apprentice. Okay? The word for disciple, I've said this a number of times, is one who sits under teaching. Do you know that many revolutionary leaders have had disciples? There was an extremist leader of a violent revolutionary group in North America. And he said that they were cutting down their numbers by two-thirds until they had an utterly dedicated group of trained disciples who could bring about a revolution. They were cutting down the size of the group until they had a trained group of disciples, cadets, so that they could have an impact in their revolution. Do you know why with a lot of Pan-Africanists, 
Do you know why they support each other a lot? You might have heard some politicians here saying awesome things about other politicians who've just passed away. It's like they're on the same page and so on. I'm not trying to be funny. And you listen to them speak. They were discipled under the same source, Marxist-Leninist thinking. So they share the same philosophy. And one of the things about that philosophy sometimes is the end justifies the means. So it doesn't matter how many people we kill off as long as we have that Marxist utopia. Are you following me? So they'll be on, they're on the same page. The reason why, the, one of the problems we have in the church today, why we are so divided, is we're not making disciples according to the word of God. So we have so many different flavors around the world because we're not creating disciple-making communities. Is everyone following? Next, a disciple is someone who continues to grow beyond their conversion experience. A disciple is someone who continues to grow beyond their conversion experience. Every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. Does that make sense? You never graduate from being a disciple. I can't say, guys, can you make sure you create a disciple-making community? And then I'm here and I'm like, I'll just inspire you to do that. No. I have to always be being discipled and making disciples myself. Amen? I love Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 to 29. It says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's focus. I'm going I'm to say this verse again. I'm going to read it again. But I'm wanting you to just put yourself here and say, is this what I'm doing? This is what Paul says. Him we preach, he's talking about Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. When you're making disciples, you're saying, okay, these four people, I'm intentionally wanting to present them perfect in Christ. That's my goal with them. And I won't stop until they get there. Amen? He goes on to say, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. It's labor. It's not easy. How many of you are disciple makers here? Even if it's in seed form. Amen? How many of you are getting a vision this morning to say, I want to do this thing? You know, sometimes when we are vague and we talk about many things and so on, people don't know where to start. But when we make it simple and we say, make disciples that make disciples, that's our win. Yeah, but I love worshiping and I'm a worshiper and I just love the presence of God. That's fine. Do that. But in the process, make sure you're making disciples that make disciples. Amen. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says, my little children from whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Next, a disciple is someone who has a desire to be like their master, Jesus. So we don't disciple people so they can be like that famous rock star. We're discipling people so that they become like Jesus. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the center. 
Amen. That's why in Luke 6 verse 40 it says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. What will Jesus do? It's a powerful disciple-making question when you're making disciples. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And you know what tends to happen, unfortunately, in our lives? What tends to happen is we go by the social norms as opposed to what would Jesus do? For example, my kids have wanted to watch a particular series. Their friends have watched it. One of my sons uh, yesterday or so or the day before was unpacking what that series is about. And so uh, they spoke to my wife about it. She said, well, one of us needs to be watching it with you. You have to speak to your, your, your father about this. And she came to the ladies' meeting. And then they said, okay, so dad, what? mom said we must speak to you about that particular series. And I went and I was in prayer. And as I was praying about it, because sometimes we don't pray about these things, right? I was praying the Spirit, praying the Spirit. And I felt a check in my heart. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, that series, if they watch it, it will put a spirit of fear in them. <clears throat> Went back to the boys and I said, guys, I've prayed about it. And the Lord told me that it will put a spirit of fear in you. Boys are like, oh, okay, dad. And they just carried on with whatever they were doing. What would Jesus do? Every decision that we're making. Amen? A disciple is someone who is passionate about achieving their destiny. You see, when you make a disciple, you're not just teaching them theology. Disciple making is about, yes, are you grounded in the word? Disciple making is about, yes, are you grounded in character? But disciple making is also about, yes, are you walking in your purpose? And that's where you have to customize it. Amen? Because you can have four people you're discipling. Two of them want to become preachers. The other two want to become business people. With the business people, you tailor make the discipleship process to prepare them for business. With the preachers, you tailor make the discipleship process to prepare them for ministry. Amen? Three dimensions of discipleship. Yes, there's the theology. Yes, there's the character formation and development. But there's also the purpose development. Otherwise, you have people who are very moral, high on character, then you say, are you fulfilling your purpose? What purpose? They don't know. Amen? And that's why I like Philippians 3, verses 12 through to 15. It says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ, Jesus, has also laid hold of me. Paul was goal-orientated. He went through his formation period. He went through hiddenness when he was in the Arabian desert. He went through all those things, but he would still set his face like flint and just say, you know what, I'm going for that thing that Christ has laid a hold of me. When we're making disciples, we need to know what is Christ's purpose for that individual and how can we unlock it? How many of you have found in the last year or so your purpose is being unlocked? How many of you have found in the last year or so, there are people around you who aren't just interested in themselves, they're interested in your destiny and unlocking it? How many of you have those people around you? It's important to have that. It's important to have that. I see a number of people, they'll just go to any church because it's fancy and they're entertained there. But if, I, if you ask them the hard question, are these people really interested in your purpose and destiny? 
A lot of times they'll say, well, I don't think they know about it. Is everyone following? It's important to be in an environment where you've got people around you who know what your calling is and they're unlocking it. And the only way that can happen is in a disciple-making culture. Simple as that. I also want to say something. We're always making disciples and being disciples, so don't hide. Don't have that carnal mindset that says, I don't want to tell them my dreams. They might be jealous and envious. There needs to be someone in your life who's unlocking and activating it. You don't get to the top by yourself. Some people are proud and they say, I'm a self-made man, Paul. I did this by myself. No one does it by themselves. Amen? Next, a disciple is someone who is willing to enter into close relationship with other people. You cannot separate disciple-making from community building. You cannot separate discipleship from relationship. Disciple-making happens in the context of relationship. Amen? The call to discipleship is also the call to community. Next, a disciple is someone who is open to accountability and even correction. Many of us struggle being corrected. Raise your hand this morning if you've got people around you who can challenge you and speak into your life. Okay? That's about half the hands in the room went up. So it means the other 50%, you don't have people like that in your lives? Or you just didn't feel like raising your hand? I don't know. Okay? Jesus often corrected or rebuked his disciples for their own growth and development. You see this in, Mark, in Matthew 8, 26. You see it in Mark 8, 33. You see it in Luke 9, 55. Your own time, you can look at those scriptures. Okay? The Bible says a wise person is someone who can receive correction from others. In Proverbs 10, verse 17, it says, People who accept correction are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore it will lead others astray. One of the things that happens in the disciple-making process is we're corrected. You can't say, I want to be discipled. Please disciple me, but never correct me. But please disciple me. Just teach me the word, but never make it personal to my life. That's why for a lot of people, it's easy for them to receive a message when you're preaching to them, because you're preaching to a whole group. And they'll come, Pastor, I was so convicted when you said this. But if you do it one-on-one with them, and say, you know this scripture here, how's your life aligned to this scripture? Because from what I'm seeing, your life doesn't look aligned to the scripture. Then people are offended. Amen? In Proverbs 12, verse 1, it says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. How many of you hate correction, hate being corrected because of your pride? What does the Bible say? Not me. <laughs> I've said too many harsh things to you guys recently, so let me say, <laughs> he who hates correction, yes, Lord, we want to learn from you, is what, Lord? Oh, stupid. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Next, a disciple is someone who makes other disciples. A disciple is someone who makes other disciples. You can't say I'm a disciple of Christ if you're not actively making disciples. Let me say something about this. This is not about personality. Lord spoke to me some years ago and said, there are people who glorify their personalities. You know, people will say, but I'm not that type, pastor. 
Evangelism. Because that's the starting point of the disciple-making process. Going out, dishing out flyers. The only way churches grow is through evangelism, ladies and gentlemen. Can I go there? When we do prayer and fasting, it's to basically break those strongholds in people's minds that are stopping them from coming to church. Do you know that in 20, I think it was about 2014, my wife had a vision of this thing that looked like a Buddha sitting on top of the, the roof of this church. And what was interesting is we would have ignites where we would rebuke this thing and so on. And what we found with our church was we've seen so many people come, haven't we? But we've also seen so many people go. This is ending. When we have this week of prayer and fasting, my friends, this is ending. Because we're going to deal with that spirit. Someone else had a couple of dreams where they actually saw this, uh, was it a black thing over some of the, a couple of churches, two different churches, right? This canopy over it. And they felt one of them was for our church. We can, we can deal with it. The enemy isn't so powerful. Amen. Amen. Jesus says, I'm building my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you look at this church, if you look at the, the mantles that we carry, can I go there? If you look at the respect we command when we go to other nations, and if you look at the responses we get, even in the business arena and so on, we should be having thousands of people. Are you following me this morning? We're going we're gonna to deal with this thing in the spirit. That's why we're calling a fast. That's why we're calling a fast. We're going to deal with this thing in the spirit and watch this space. But how many of you know that even in times of revival, you need to go and invite people? And you can't say, I'm not that type of personality. When Jesus sent out the 70 and the 72, he didn't say, oh no, yeah, I just sent out the extroverts and then the introverts stayed at home praying for the extroverts. If he wanted it that way, he would have instructed it so, us in that way, wouldn't he? Do you know that there are people with the gift of evangelism who are introverts? Because now when we talk about effectiveness in winning people to Christ, we're now talking about spiritual gifts. How many of you know that your spiritual gift comes over your natural self and you get results? Amen? Now there's not one style of evangelism. Some people are good at invitational evangelism. Some of you are very good when you start your business, you'll be there, flyers, bold, giving them out because you want to sell, I don't know, maybe you bake cakes or you're starting some franchise. You'll do it, even if you're a shy person, because you want to make money. But then now when we say, we've got a couple's breakfast coming up, weekend of 18th of October, can you invite people? How many of you invite people? The next couple's breakfast, I'm believing God for a hundred I'm not exaggerating, 100 couples. We should be having 100 couples. With the TV show that we're doing, there are hundreds of thousands of people who know, oh, Paul is a marriage coach. Why shouldn't they be coming to our marriage breakfasts? Are you following me this morning? I get so many requests coming through, through social media, so many likes, so many views. Why shouldn't all those people be coming to the marriage breakfast? Imagine praying about these things, saying, God, we're pushing through, and this is the target. And then people actively go and they dish out the flyers to those individuals. I'm so impressed with what the guys are doing in Pretoria East. Yesterday they had a gazebo out there dishing out pancakes to people in the Moikluf area. Evangelism. Amen? 
For some of you, you're good at counseling people. That could be your space to evangelize. For some of you, you're good at teaching people the word. Maybe you're a lady and you love teaching the word and so on. You should be starting a group and it's evangelistic. There are different styles of evangelism. I'm not saying we must all have the same style. But part of being a disciple maker is you die to your personality. You die to self and you say, God, use me however you want to use me. And I'm telling you right now, when he selected the apostles, those 12, and in the 70, and in the 72, he didn't say, okay, this group, who are the loud guys? Uh, Peter, uh, maybe James. Uh, okay, yeah, just the, yeah, four of you guys, come. Who's confident enough? Yeah, come. Let's go and cast out demons. It says when the 70 returned, they were blown away because this thing becomes addictive. A good type of addiction. Amen. We went and we cast out demons. We went and we did this. How many of you have been on missions? You know, you know what's important, how we activate this kind of thing in the church? Just organize a mission. I was fortunate enough to be involved in this kind of thing way back and so on. And you, just, you go on a mission, you die to self, and we had different personalities on the mission. Where the shy, retired people, and you'd see them there just reaching people. The people who struggle with this, I'm going to say it like it is, are people who haven't yet died to self. Simple as that. You can't say to me, Pastor, my personality type is I can't, I can't welcome people at the door. When I come to your house, will you say I'm shy, so I won't welcome you. I'll just stay in my, I'll stay in my bedroom until you come in. I loved what my wife said earlier on. What do you do in your home? You welcome people. You take ownership. The Zoe, God kind of life is at work in you. And you can't tell someone else about it because of your personality. That's not kingdom. Amen? Say to the person next to you, that's not kingdom. And let me just say something else. Do you know how you know someone has backslidden? When they're more excited about their hobbies, when they're more excited about their soapies that they watch, and they're more excited about their soccer team than they are about the word and prayer. That's a sign of backsliddenness. No excuses, nothing. No excuses, guys. That's a sign of being a carnal Christian. You're more excited about temporary, temporary things here on earth, temporal things here on earth. It gives you more joy than snatching people out of hell and bringing them into the kingdom of God. Amen? Why am I being strong about it? We can't have revival without this mindset. Amen? So, a disciple is someone who makes disciples. Disciple making, the process of making disciples is characterized by a number of things. Prayer, you pray for the people. Care, you care about them. Teaching, encouragement, accountability, correction, and then you encourage them to do the same with other people. Does everyone get that? When, when I'm saying I'm discipling person X, okay, I must be praying for them. I must be caring for them. I must be teaching and instructing them. I must be encouraging them. There must be an accountability thing that's going on, and I must be willing to correct them. That's how you create disciples. So if someone says to me, 
Paul, can you help me with my business concerning A, B, C, D? That's not discipleship. I'm just mentoring them in that area. We mustn't confuse mentorship with discipleship. Amen? Is everyone following? I said to you earlier on that disciple-making focuses on cultivating the following. Number one, character. Number two, theological understanding. And number three, ministry development. If you're discipling someone, I should be able to come to you and say, are they achieving their purpose? Are you developing them as a business person? If they're a business person, are you developing them for ministry? Do they now know how to cast out a demon from someone? We have to be able to measure it that way. Amen? In the next couple of weeks, you're going to have opportunities when you've decided, okay, these are the people I want to disciple, right? Whether you're a lady discipling ladies, guy discipling guys, these are the people I want to disciple. And you will submit your names to us. You'll give us your names and we'll put them on a database so we'll know who's discipling who. Amen? And just be careful because some of the people you might list might have you on their list. They might think they're the ones discipling you. Okay? <laughs> It's okay. It's fine. I'm so excited that the young adults will be meeting afterwards, the young adults leaders, because these are some of the things they'll be breaking down. I remember some months ago, Pastor Stewart speaking to me and saying, you know what, for young adults, we really need a mentorship system. We need something where the older people are mentoring the younger young adults. Because what's happening is you can be 25 years of age and going through what we call a mid-20s crisis. How many of you are in your mid-20s here? Mid-twenties people? Hey, hey, Jordan. <laughs> Other people were calculating and they were like, no, I think I'm now late. I'm now late twenties. All right? You know what a mid-twenties crisis is? The inability to function outside of, an in, outside of a formal institution. So you were at school. Some of you boarding school. Then you were at varsity. And you always had a system, right? People telling you what to do and so on. Now you're in your mid-twenties and you're like, no one is telling me what to do. I've moved out of home. I haven't got my parents or my mom or dad down my throat saying, do this, do this. It's time to shower now. <laughs> There's a mid-twenties crisis where people don't eat properly because it was all done for them before. So, uh, there's situations where there's some mid-twenties who are still staying at home with their parents and the parents are sort of starting to see it. Like, what's going on here? Okay? How many of you know that when you're going through that crisis, you need someone to mentor you? How many of you know that when you go for your first job, you need someone to show you this is how you use money? We had a whole lot of friends who backslid after university, hey? And you know what the chief reason was? Money. They'd come from poor backgrounds. They had scholarships at university. Think about it. Someone who's never had cash goes on scholarship to a university. Some of you are in this category. So you're like, that was me, right? And then you get your first job. You've never seen money like that. And then you go crazy. That's why some of you backslid after your first job. Are you feeling me this morning? Yeah. Okay. And then a number of them, fortunately, have come back to the Lord. But imagine if you had someone discipling them during those times of transition. It would be so powerful. Discipleship has to be so, so practical. You know what I've seen happens? Is that often we don't have time so we think that we have to have this big formal meeting to make disciples. You know that sometimes it's about letting people do life deeply with you. Back in the day, maybe about seven years ago or so, I remember with the band, 
We had some of the band guys, after band practice, would stay the night at our house. Mpo, Desire, a couple of other guys. I'm so glad that we had that season. Because by default, I know that they would have seen, as young men, they would have seen how I relate to my kids. Are you following me this morning? There's some things you only learn by catching them and by observing. They would have seen how my wife and I talk to each other. If you come from a broken home, you don't see those things. My relationship with Pastor Michael, for example. Some people think, oh, I knew him from childhood and so on. No. Pastor Mike and Fadzai joined our church in August 2010. The church started in April 2010. That's when they joined the church. Pastor Michael would say to me, he would phone me and he would say, Pastor where are you right now? I would say, oh, I'm doing a grocery shop for, uh, for um, you know, for, for orphans and that kind of thing. In those days, we used to do it. Like, you go individually, you purchase, you do a grocery shop yourself. I'm sounding like those dads would say, we used to walk, we used to walk to school. <laughs> and we would go and would leave the groceries here. <laughs> okay. And you'd say, where are you going? And I'd say, I'm doing it at Pick and Pay Hyper at um, Lifestyle. Okay, I'm coming, I'm, I'm, I'll join you. And you'll be there pushing the trolley. And we would talk and we would connect. Are you following me this morning? Don't waste time pouring yourself into people who don't value your knowledge. For me, I'm not, I'm not wasting my time anymore. If people don't value my knowledge, forget it. Can't waste my time. Amen? The people you should disciple are people who will fight over, oh, are you going abroad? Who's, who's taking you to the airport? Oh, we, I want to drive you. Because they want to spend time with you. Not people when they then meet you, they spend the whole time sharing their own revelation. Why are you, why are you doing that? Why, why are you doing that? Why, are you wanting to teach me stuff? If that was the purpose of the meeting, that's cool. Pastor, I want to teach you this stuff. Cool, I'm humble enough to learn from anyone. But don't say, Pastor, I want you to mentor me, and then the whole time we're together, it's you talking about your stuff. Amen? Let's, let's talk straight here. And I'm not just talking about me and, you, and the people I mentor and disciple. When you are now discipling people, it's the same approach. With some people, you might say, you know what, I think you've grown now. I think you should get discipled by so-and-so because clearly you don't see stuff in me. Go, I think go over there. <laughs> Otherwise, we're wasting our time. And, and my time has become too precious. Say to the person next to you, my time is too precious. <laughs> so what is the cost what is the cost of discipleship in the life of the disciple? In Luke 14, verse 28 to 30, it says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not, a, not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So there's a cost, and we need to count the cost. We need to say to ourselves, do I really want to be a disciple maker? Now, how many of you can, can say that? We're on the same page. You, you want to be a disciple maker. Raise your hand. 
Raise your hand. Okay, that's most of the people in the room, right? Um, I'll pray for the others who didn't raise their hands, right? Um, so you've raised your hand. So we're on the same page. You want to be a disciple maker. Have, would, would you say I'm, I've shown you to some extent how to do it? Maybe a bit. Yeah, we'll keep teaching on it, right? Right. Now we have to say, let me count the cost, okay? So I want to share with you what the cost is because there's a cost. A, being a true disciple involves having a personal cross experience. In Luke 14, verse 27, it says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So do you know what? If I want to be a true disciple, devoted to prayer, it might mean that that wonderful bri I was going to have on a particular day, I'm not having it anymore. It might mean that that wonderful party I was going to attend, I can't attend it because I need to be fasting and praying. It might mean that when my kids are saying, can you come and watch this movie with us? That's going to be three hours long. And I'm thinking to myself, I've got a certain, certain um, amount of praying I still need to do today. It might mean I can't. Amen? I can't do everything. What's your cross? And it'll be different for different people, by the way. It's not easy getting up early in the morning to pray when it's cold and you're there and you're duvet and you're having this, you know when you're in that state where you're like sort of in and out of sleep and you're just like, oh. It's not easy when you hear alarms going off and so on. It's often my wife's alarm, I'll hear it and you hear alarms. It's not always easy. But when you know the power of it, you get up and you do it. Amen? B, being a true disciple involves a denial of self. Mark 8, 34 to 38. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, Many of your hands went up, right? Let him deny himself. That's the first thing. <laughs> one, lesson 101, disciples. If you desire to come after Jesus, first lesson, deny self. They don't teach you that nowadays, do they? Self-denial. They just teach you about all the stuff that you'll get. Right? We heard that earlier on. Right? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? I don't know about you, but I don't want to forfeit my soul after gaining the whole world. Amen. And those of you who are young people here, teenagers, how many of you are teenagers here? Teens. Precious, precious, precious. It's powerful when you make these decisions earlier on in life. The earlier you get into this stuff, the better. Amen? Be being a true disciple involves losing your soul life. And that's what we're talking about. D, being a true disciple involves a surrender of all of life's possessions. In Luke 18, 22 to 23, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. This guy was a moral person, but Jesus saw something in him. It's what you do when you're making disciples. You see the gaps. He says, you still lack one thing. 
Sell all you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. One of the most powerful New Testament verses, that one. Jesus said to this man, you lack one thing. Everyone, please listen very carefully. What would Jesus say about you? What's that one thing you lack? Can Jesus come to you and say, "Ah, wonderful, wonderful, all this stuff is great, but you lack one thing, you love food. (laughs) I wasn't trying to be funny. (laughs) Do you know that the Bible talks about some people, it says, and their God is their bellies. And that's one of the powerful things about fasting, by the way, because when you have a fasted life, do you know what ends up happening? After some days of fasting, you lose your appetite. And I learned recently that there's a difference between hunger and appetite. Hunger is when you actually need food, but you're not having food. Your appetite is to do with your brain. What your brain tells you you need. Because you've trained your brain that way. That's why you can have a full stomach bursting. And then the person who is in charge of the food at home, in this case my wife, then says, any ice cream for you guys? Who wants some ice cream for dessert? And what happens? Oh, yes, please. Yes, please, my love. That'll be nice. That's not to do with hunger. That's to do with your appetite. Amen? What is that one thing you lack? God wants us to die. Amen? To die concerning these things. For some of you, it's the love of money. For some of you, it's the love of food. For some of you, it's the love of I was just going to say of, of, of men, if you're a lady, of girls, if you're a guy. No, seriously. There's some people, it's like their whole life is all sorted, but they've got that one weakness, the one thing they lack. It's like, hey, when I see those ladies, when I see... Fasting will help you to die from that. One of the things fasting does, it helps you when you've got certain addictions and certain habits. So if you struggle with lust, if you struggle with pornography and that kind of thing, go on a, when you go on the fast, ask God to deliver you from that thing. And very often it's not deliverance that just comes from prayer. There was one guy who was delivered from pornography. He said, Pastor, I just need you to pray for me. Prayed for him. A strong deliverance prayer. Never struggled with it. He said, something just came off me. I had no desire for it. Okay? But for most people, those are things you fast out of your life. Amen? Being a true disciple involves a total love for God. Luke 14, verse 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And when Jesus uses that word, hate, he's basically saying, in comparison with the love that you have for me, it must look like you hate them. Everyone following? We know that we must love the people around us, okay? So don't misinterpret scripture. He's making a point here. For many Christians today, it's almost like Jesus is coming a close second to someone or something else. Yes. Let's be honest now. Your love for Jesus is so strong 
That when people look at that love in comparison to the love you have for your own child, it looks like you hate your child. That's how much you love Jesus. I'm just unpacking scripture, right? How deep is your love for the Lord? Is it really your highest relationship? Can you see when you're making disciples, you're getting people to that place. You're also growing in that, but you're getting people to that place. And you don't have to be a theologian to be a disciple maker, by the way. Some of you have already disqualified yourself because you're like, oh, you just have to be a little bit ahead of them. Amen? Just have to be ahead of other people. How many of you have got people around you who are not as mature as a Christian as you? That means you can make disciples. That means you can make disciples. So the practical outworking of this, I want to encourage you. Number one, start a group. Start a group. Literally write down, Lord, who do I want to disciple? And you write it down and you begin to prayerfully deal with it. We'll give you more details as the weeks go by. But have a group of people where you're saying, I'm making these disciples. Okay? Be a leader of people. The next thing I want to say to you practically is structure your life in a way that includes other people. In other words, do life deeply with other people. Don't isolate yourself. Next, make better use of the time you have available. In other words, make sure you're developing yourself. That's one of the best gifts you can give the people around you. Some of the time that you're idle, including lunches, walks, playing squash or golf, whatever you play, make that a disciple-making time. Say to certain people you're discipling, guys, you know what, let's go for a run together. We need to get fitter, right, with the three of you. I want to take you through a disciple-making process, and then we'll have a session after each run when we're all sweaty. Everyone following? Sometimes it's when you're doing your laundry. Sometimes when you're driving around. Sometimes it's about taking other people on holiday with you. Sometimes it's when you go shopping, you say, hey guys, let's do the shop together. And you're connecting with each other. Sometimes it's a mom's group you might start. Sometimes there's dead time when you're fetching kids and you have to wait for the next child to finish school. And you might say, you know what, I'm going to disciple these other three moms during that time. We've got a lot of dead time. I always use my dead time, by the way. For me, I don't mind waiting. Because for me, waiting time is prayer time. Amen? I'm glad sometimes when I'm waiting because I can use this as time to pray, time to worship. I love the worship music that I'm tapping into. How many of you know people like David G., the Nigerian guy? Lovely worship. Lovely worship coming from West Africa, guys. How many of you know people like Steve Crown? Yeah, just go and search him. Are you feeling me? Imela, the song Imela. Wonderful, powerful stuff, guys. So for me, waiting time is prayer time, worship time, catching up on call time, encouraging people time. Amen? So make use of that time. Other thing is, make use of the resources that we give you in this church. Because you're wondering, like, what are the tools? What are the tools? Well, the first tool we've got is rebuild. That's the series we're taking you through, and there's the book that goes with it. It's important that every person in the church goes through this process. Rebuild. 
That's our foundation. And then we're going to go through a process where a lot of the sermons that we've already done in this church, we've got archives of sermons. My wife is going to be going through a process of converting some of those sermons into Bible studies. Isn't that going to be powerful? Bible studies, booklets that we can use. Where we say, oh, remember guys, we did the Freedom Series. There's a book already that goes with that. But there are a lot of series that we've done that don't have booklets that go with them. Discussion guides. Amen? I know a movement that's done this, and it's phenomenal what they're doing. We've done family series. Imagine having booklets that go with that. Then you say, I'm taking these people through this particular process. So you'll have that available to you. And I think it's going to be extremely powerful. You know what the result of Christian discipleship is? It affects generations. Do you remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2? He says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Who can tell me how many generations are spoken of there? Four. Paul says to Timothy, the things you've heard from me, teach to others who can also teach others, four generations. If we want to change this city, if we want to change this nation, we have to make disciples that make disciples. And the powerful thing about disciple making, it extends from individuals to families, from families to organizations, from organizations to communities, and from communities to cities, and from cities to nations. Let's pray. If you are here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I've been a Christian and I've been living my Christian life, but I want to use this opportunity to be a disciple maker. I want to make a commitment to start the process of being intentional and systematic in making disciples. I'm one of those people, pastor, who wants to start praying and thinking about my list of people that I want to disciple. If you are here this morning and you're saying, I'm wanting prayer so that I become a disciple maker. So that God floods me with ideas for disciple making. So I'm asking you to stand right now. Stand where you are. Stand where you are. Stand where you are. Stand where you are. And those of you who are standing, at some point we'll be coming and we'll be asking you or you'll be coming to us and you'll be submitting those names. And, we, and there'll be an accountability around that. Pray this prayer with me, please. Lord Jesus, I yield to you. I surrender to you. Make me a disciple maker. Let this be my focus, Lord. Give me creative ways of being obedient to this call for disciple making in Jesus name I pray right now Lord for my brothers and sisters here and I thank you Father God as they've responded to this word that you will use them in such a mighty way I thank you Father God that something so powerful is being activated in this church right now come and do it Lord May these people who've responded make disciples that make disciples. In Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, 
Amen. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.